Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the National Basketball Association, has pulled the 2017 All-Star Game from Charlotte, North Carolina, because of the state's draconian bathroom bill that prohibits local municipalities from passing ordinances to protect the rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Now, Adam Silver did this, but he also did something else this week. He made the call to fine players in the WNBA for wearing shirts that stand against police violence as well as violence against the police. Now, to understand this mishmash, we have one of the sharpest minds at the intersection of sports and politics, ESPN's Howard Bryant. And then I have some choice words about how Adam Silver could have these contradictory thoughts in his brain where he finds WNBA players for standing on political principle, but then also exercises his own political principle on the question of LGBT issues and Charlotte. Now, we got Howard Bryant in studio, and I started by asking him the question, what the hell is he doing in Washington, D.C.? Why am I here? Yes. I ask myself that question no matter what city I'm in. <laughs> I wake up every day. What city? You know, why are you here? Why are you here? Uh, I'm just here doing a little book research and the city open, taking in a little tennis. But mostly I'm here to do some book research for uh, the next project. Uh, the next project is sports, politics, protest in a post-9-11 America. I don't know. You're bringing sports and politics together? I don't know, man. Yeah. Seems like a loser. <laughs> exactly. No, not a lot of room there to talk. It's, no. a, it's a slim volume. It's a slim volume, yeah. <laughs> nice little pamphlet to talk about these issues. And there's no audience for it. That's no. the bigger issue. Uh, so look, speaking of sports and politics – Immediate reaction. NBA moves the 2017 All-Star Game out of Charlotte. First and foremost, are you surprised that Silver took the step? Well, I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked. I don't know if that sort of splits it in half. But I think that um, the first thing that hit me about it, really two issues. One was it struck me as very shrewd. Very shrewd because you're dealing with a commissioner who needs control. And I think it's good business for him to make sure that he is in control of his landscape. Remember, you know, you've got two areas here. The first area is a few years ago, a couple of years ago, 2014, you've got Donald Sterling getting forced out. What's Adam Silver going to do? He takes over from David Stern after 30 years. You've got essentially the threat of a player revolt. You got to get out in front of that. Mm-hmm. You have to. Now, as we talked about, about walking the walk. Everything that you've sort of set up in terms of being a progressive league and being a progressive commissioner and all of those things happening at the same time when just two weeks ago you're lamenting Kevin Durant changing teams, which signals to me labor, which signals to me a potential lockout situation. So you can see how shrewd it is for him to appear that he's progressive and to be progressive because next year, You've got a labor battle potentially heating up and all these little pieces come together and all these pieces matter. Yeah, and I think you'd agree with me about this. I would say there's no way David Stern does this. I don't think so. I don't think so because I think that, one, they come from two different schools. David Stern certainly would have done what they did on the WNBA side, which was to try to put down what even seems to be any sort of player independence. Yeah, and and I want to ask you about that too, definitely. Uh, But to stick with just Charlotte very, very briefly here. Did you see Michael Jordan's statement? I did. What was your take on on his statement, the statement of the Charlotte team? To me, he might as well have just said, I like soup. 
Didn't well, bring Steph a lot Curry, to the table. And Steph Curry was the same way. What you, what I heard from both Steph Curry's statement and from Michael Jordan's statement was the stove is hot. It's very hot to the touch issue because you have to remember that showing your hand is not what Michael Jordan does. Michael Jordan doesn't show his hand on anything. We don't know how he feels about the actual law itself. Maybe he's in agreement with the law. Yeah. And because of that, you have to turn this into something that's very political because you don't want to show that you are in favor of something that's very unpopular. On the other hand, you also don't want to turn on your community that you rely on to buy tickets to your product because whether or not he agrees or not with the law, there are many, many people in North Carolina who do. So therefore, you also have a governor who is sending the message and trying to frame this in not right and wrong terms, but liberal elite terms, the very mm-hmm. Brexit terms. The liberal elites, both in the government and in the media, are trying to force our hand and we're going to show how, how tough and solid, how much solidarity we have. A stunning reflection of the broader political landscape. Like you uh, would no never question. know that there were masses of – poor, working, middle-class, LGBT people and their family members who are outraged and shocked by this law. You would never know labor was against this law. You would never know that uh, one of the leading civil rights veterans in North Carolina have all come out against this law, uh, including the people doing the Moral Mondays movement, have said this is just the old Confederate playbook rewritten to distract us. You'd never know that from his response. It's just elites in the media. Very volatile times right now. And... The speed in which things are changing is so staggering that everybody at some point feels that they're being put on the spot to quote our old mentor, Howard Zinn, you can't be neutral in the moving train. Nobody can be neutral. Your silence right now is defining. Right. So everything you do or everything that you don't do is going to say something about these times, whether we're talking about the police, whether we're talking about North Carolina, whether we're talking about – Dallas, whether we're talking about labor, everything right now is in play. And I think that you're watching people who are used to being able to sort of talk their way out of things, having their words be parsed in a way that they hadn't been parsed before. Michael Jordan, Steph Curry being prime examples of that. And it's I heard one of your uh, co-workers on ESPN, uh, Mike Greenberg on Mike and Mike. Uh, they were talking about the issue of medical marijuana. And no, I'm not about to bash Mike and Mike or Mike Greenberg, just so you know. Um, no, I'm just saying, just laying <laughs> it out there. That's not what this is we're about. On your to be. show, do what you need to do. No, it, it was just fascinating to me. They were talking about medical marijuana. They were talking about Eugene Monroe, player for uh, the Ravens, who was released and then he re- just retired. And he's been a longstanding advocate of medical marijuana as a pain reliever. And Mike Greenberg said, I'm intrigued by the arguments that players should be allowed to use medical marijuana, but I don't know enough. And so I want to hear what people smarter than me about this have to say. And I got to be honest with you. My gut reaction when I heard him say that was, oh, that's some mealy-mouthed BS. And then I was thinking to myself, wait a minute. If I disassociate what my feelings are about Mike Greenberg and about this show, which strives not to offend, what's really wrong with him saying that? And why are we so averse to people saying I'm not smart enough to have an opinion. Maybe I need to know more. Well, there's plenty wrong with it. Get smart. Learn. Go find out. There are all kinds of resources available to go learn what you need to learn. That is true. And so to me, I don't think there's anything wrong on its face, but it also sounds like it's a 
a sort of cover. It's a way to duck. It's a way the to question. It's a way to duck. We've been asking this question. I've asked this question in baseball for a long time. Are you going to work on your CBAs as marijuana becomes decriminalized? What does that do to your CBA when you can suspend players for using marijuana when the guy in the stands can light up a joint? Mm-hmm. And no league yet, as of yet, has really taken that on. The NBA sort of goes because they know it's the Charles Oakley line. If you took out marijuana, you wouldn't have a league. Mm-hmm. But, but baseball, football, marijuana is still a punishable offense. And so that strikes me as being behind the time. That strikes me as not being necessarily up or willing to be as flexible as they need to be. Yeah, as we're talking, Le'Veon Bell just got suspended again. And especially, well, for a missed drug test. But why, is once, why is he missing the test, <laughs> right? But here's the other problem. All sports have pain involved. Mm-hmm. No sport has as much pain involved as football. Football mm-hmm. should be out front on this. Football should have been way out in front on this before everybody. Football could have been – if we're talking about Adam Silver being progressive on this issue, on the HB2 issue, then the NFL should have been way, way, way out in front in terms of medical marijuana. Yeah, and what does it say that they're still fine with these opioids? Like, have you ever taken an opioid? Have you ever had like a post-surgery thing where you had to take these things? Oh, I've been on OxyContin for the last two years. I have two surgeries, and it's and that stuff. I, I'll tell you, just to be candid, I had I had a reconstructive knee surgery. I had an ACL meniscus reconstruction back in October 2014, and then I had my gallbladder out a couple of months ago. And the first one, the first surgery, the 2014 surgery. Before that surgery, I honestly used to believe that painkiller addiction was a very clever way to excuse white addiction. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, oh, you know, for, you know, black people use drugs mm-hmm. and go to prison, but white people have painkiller addiction. Mm-hmm. It's a nice way to soften it, sort of like heroin today. Instead of it being horse and being a junkie, mm-hmm. it's a health crisis. Mm-hmm. However, being on OxyContin for eight, nine days in a row after my mm-hmm. surgery, that's real. It is real. It's real. It's real and it's scary and it's powerful to the point where, I mean, I was taking the first couple days of the surgery, I was taking those things. I think I was taking, I think it was two every eight hours. I mean, I was taking eight of those a day. And and at one point, you look and you go, where am I? Exactly. It taught me the difference between a craving mm-hmm. and what a physical addiction yeah. actually feels like. Because there's a huge difference between being like, oh, I got an itch to have a drink because I've been drinking a lot yeah. lately. Ah, screw it. I won't have a drink tonight. There's a big yeah. difference between that and clutching your sheets. Well, and there's another problem with it too. And I don't – and I've always felt like I don't have an addictive personality. I don't do drugs. I don't do anything. I mean I, there's nothing – you know, even sushi. <laughs> I can say no to it if I don't have to eat it You know, and I That's can't eat it right statement. now. It's a bold statement. I love my sushi. I don't have that. I don't have – it's not like, yeah, I got to go to the casino and I can't stop. I don't have that in my game. But – the one thing that I did feel when I was on Oxy after my surgery was if there was a part of your personality, if you were having a rough point in your life where you were prone to depression, if mm-hmm. you felt like checking out, Oxy will grease those skids for you. If mm-hmm. you were on your way to checking out, Oxy is like, like a roller coaster, it's like rolling completely downhill with no brakes because it feels good. And that's what made me so angry about – they had some guest hosts with Mike Greenberg and what he said was – Of course, marijuana is addictive. It's physically pleasurable. 
just like anything that's pleasurable is addictive. And you're like, which you is nonsense because that is nonsense. Golden Oreos are pleasurable, but they're yes. not addictive. And there's yeah, and like I said, there's a difference between craving physi- something well, and physical characteristics. Yeah, it's just not. It's just not. Accurate. Yeah. And speaking of not accurate, that's my segue back to Charlotte because I did want to ask you this too. Because I th- the other thing that fascinated me about what Adam Silver did is I remember David Stern about 15 years ago speak with urgency about the need for the league to have, and these were his words, red state appeal. And him hiring a Bush strategist named Matthew Dowd about how do we play better in these red states. And he, what does it say that Adam Silver is basically – throwing up a middle finger to that. What does that say about this country? Well, it says a few things. The first thing it says is that Adam Silver is not David Stern. Mm -hmm. It also says that the speed in which things are changing is real, that we're a different culture now. We're a different culture than we were 10 years ago. We're a different culture than we were five years ago in terms of having to confront issues that we didn't feel like were front burner issues. And now they are. Now you're dealing with you know, LGBT things at a speed that it wasn't even on the table two years ago right. in terms of – from a statewide standpoint. And the laughability you – know, you would just laugh about the fact that marijuana would be legalized in 26 states. You're like, really? No. Mm-hmm. If we had that conversation in 2007, you'd be like, no. There are certain lines in the sand that just weren't going to get crossed. Everything's getting crossed right now. Everything is up for debate. I think Adam Silver is also recognizing something else that's really important, and that is that he needs to establish who he is. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you know, head and shoulders. You, know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. He's coming out of 30 years of David Stern, and so he's going to have to decide who he is at a time when player power is at its height. And that's the connection to the WNBA issue. Which is an anti-labor move out and out. Right. And I'm going to be speaking about this at great length and later in the show. But just to say that to me, the idea of Adam Silver cracking down on WNBA players the same week as this Charlotte move is less about politics and more about control. It's all about power. It's all about power. It's, it's about the marketing sure. image of the league and him saying that like that – because he even says it's like you want to talk on social media, go right ahead. You want to be political, it's fantastic. But when we're talking about the courts, that's ours. That's not yours. Is it yours? And, and, and here's, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Well, it's not just going to ruffle some feathers. It's going to create a collision. It's two cars speeding toward each other because that's one of the things that that my book is about is – This collision, there was a time when sports and news did not mix. Right. It wasn't good for business on the team side. Now it's good for business on the team side. So are you going to tell me that you can have halftime in the pregame celebrations of law enforcement, which which relates specifically to the fans and are loved by the fans and are craved by the fans because fans for some reason now, they don't have a problem with the military flyovers. They don't have a problem with the police being honored. But to the players, to the players, the relationship between police and community is very different than the relationship between paying customer and police. Mm. So what you're really saying is, if you're the WNBA, if you're the league, is you're saying we are willing to allow politics and controversy on one side – but not on the other. Mm -hmm. And that's power. That's Mm -hmm. control. 
That's saying that sports and politics mix, but on our sports terms. and a certain kind of politics don't mix. Well, and here's the other thing that you're saying. You're saying, okay, I can go after Tamika Catchings at $60,000 a year, but I'm not touching LeBron at $30 million because LeBron and Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade, they came out on Trayvon. They came out on Mike Brown. They came out on Eric Garner. Adam Silver didn't do a thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't come after them. He didn't find them because he's going to lose. So here's the one wrinkle, though, with the W. And I, and I say this after spe- I spoke with people on background in the league earlier this week. When the NBA players, they were pushing back on the idea that there's a double standard. And this yeah. is what they said, and it's very interesting what they said. They said when the NBA players wore the I Can't Breathe shirts, uh, Adam Silver did make a statement at that time saying no political statements on the court. And then they stopped. Yeah. Like they actually did stop. With the WNBA, they also issued a warning. That's right. And the players disavowed that warning. The fines came in, and now the players are still disavowing that warning. And they're getting back up from Carmelo. So you have this escalation. Sure. And it's the women pushing it forward because the men buckled. Well, and once again, and what was the word that I used when we first started this conversation about Adam Silver? Shrewd. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I will always wonder about is what would have happened had the NBA players during the playoffs not decided to follow Silver on Donald Sterling? If they had said, you know what? We don't really care what you do. Here's our statement. We're not playing Thursday's games. Right. So in other words, what Silver has been able to do is he's been able to walk the line with the players because the players actually feel like they're partners. They don't feel like there's an adversarial Mm -hmm. relationship there. And they may pay that price if they get locked out next year. And that's the delicate balance that's being played right now. You've got Adam Silver essentially saying, trust me. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Trust me, I'll take care of Donald Sterling. Trust me on, I can't breathe. It's not great you know, for us. We don't want you to do this. So give me back a solid. Do me a solid on this. Mm -hmm. And the players did. Now what's going to happen if he locks them out next year? Interesting. And it's worth saying that according to uh, Marcus Thompson, terrific reporter, because remember, that was the Golden State Clippers series. Exactly. So Thompson is, is from Oakland and mm-hmm. he was in the middle of mm-hmm. all this. Thompson said that strike thing, that was on the table. That the sure. players were openly talking about it. Yes. That well, on both teams, like talking with each other, saying we're not going to play. And what you said is exactly right, is that there was enough faith that Silver was going to do something. And that faith would not have been there if David Stern was still commissioned. Well, that's right. I'm going to make this right. Trust yeah. me. And I'm just starting out. Imagine the message from a power balance that it would have sent if the players were like, you know what? You don't have a track record and we're not going to trust you. Mm. The entire relationship between the players and the league would have been very, very different. And so what I'm looking forward to seeing is what's going to happen You've already had a couple of different moments, and I think the Kevin Durant deal is one of them, where the signal – you've had two signals in the past 14 days that have suggested some labor strife. One, Silver talking about lamenting the super teams. And then two, you've got Pat Riley coming out saying the NBA really needs a franchise tag. Oh, my God. So next year, if they lock out the players, you're going to have Chris Paul and Carmelo and LeBron, the, the elites of the game, the leaders of the game saying, wait a minute. We trusted you on Sterling. We tamped down the protest when you asked us to. And now you're going to throw this on us? Yeah. Because once again, 
When you're dealing with a labor negotiation, it's not simply what's on the table. It's who are you? Who am I negotiating with and do I trust you? And we're going to see that the players have his back on Charlotte, even though there are more than a few players who have religiously based, like I, would call them, I would call them homophobic ideas. Sure. They have religious-based ideas that is in the Chris Broussard realm of not, I hate gay people, but like of the, I disagree I, with I, this. I love the sinner, hate the sin stuff. Like, and you have, you have a lot of players who come from that religious school. I guarantee you they'll stay quiet to have silver's well, and, Dave, and let's also remember something else. You don't have to agree with the law. Yeah, You don't have to be on the side. You don't have to be a progressive. You can say, look, I'm not down with this. Yeah, You can stay silent. Are you going to take some hits for it? Probably because, once again, that train is moving. Mm -hmm. And people want to know who you are and they want to know where you stand. Mm -hmm. You walk into a baseball clubhouse, there's a lot of Donald Trump supporters in a baseball clubhouse. And so that being the case, it is what it is. Does that mean that they don't have the right to feel what they feel? Absolutely not. That's what. It, that's not what it means. They have the right to support what they want to support. However, at that same time, when this stuff hits and it's hitting right now, seemingly every day, you're going to pay the price for it. Yeah. And there's a. Everyone's going to pay a price for it. You you made a point earlier about we got two cars headed for a collision. You got the Adam Silver car. You got the NBA superstar car. The question is going to be political statements on the court, particularly if, God forbid, there's Who's another Who's political extra... statements on the court? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Whose statements, in this particular case, talking about the players, if there's another extrajudicial police killing, the question I ask you is, who wins that collision? Who buckles? We all know who would win that collision if there were, if both go 100% all out, Sylvester Stallone over the top, the players win every time because that's who people are paying to see. But given the current balance of forces, I ask you, who wins that collision? Well, I think that the league wins the collision because the players aren't going to fight when that hard. And here's the other thing. When you fight that hard and – you can look at Brandon Nye and Bideo for it, and you can look at Chris Cluey for it. If you're not that good a player, they're going to get you. <laughs> Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges. They're going to get you. Yeah. And if you're a LeBron James, the minute your talent begins to diminish and you can't get off the ground and you can't carry a team to a championship anymore, there's always a price. And I think one of the things that people do not discuss enough, especially for that mid-range or marginal player, is the money is so great right now. That if you are one of those lucky guys who can parlay after your career is over, you can make more money in the broadcast booth than you made in your whole career. Those avenues are going to be cut off if you stand up as a leader. And if you decide that this is the direction you want to take, you will be reminded of that stance when it comes time when your career is over and when you need the league and when you need the game and the game's going to be like, nah, you know, suddenly we're going to go with somebody else. And that's a real thing. It's also a real thing that a lot of these guys, the least political people in these guys' lives, in their lives, their agents, their money managers, what have you, are whispering that very point. Well, in their exactly. Ears. That's and, my experience talking to players. Is well, that there's they're not even whispering that, it. They're telling you. <laughs> they're telling point, you. They're telling you point they're blank. Like, Don't be Craig Hodges. Well, they say there's a price you're going to pay for this. Are you willing to pay that price? Yeah. Are you willing to pay that price when there's no opportunity there? Now, one of the interesting things that you know, I had this conversation with David Ortiz not too long ago, and he was talking about how even though they whisper that to you, 
even though they tell you that the bottom line is that for a lot of guys, especially Latino baseball players, there's no opportunity anyway. Mm-hmm. And David said to me, I tell these guys because of that, not to believe any of the promises of coaching and managing and GM and any, any promise they might make to you because there's no evidence right now that those jobs are going to be there for you. Make as much money as you can mm-hmm. and get your black ass out. Look, I have my own theories about what I'm going to ask you. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Why do you think of all the sports that had something to say after the killings of Philando and Alton, why do you think baseball was the most silent? Because baseball has the fewest black players. Baseball is not as interconnected as the other sports are to, one, to the African-American community, and two, baseball has always been different from the standpoint that the game very rarely adapts to the people who play it. Basketball adapted to the people who play it. Football, in a lot of ways, even though it's an authoritarian game, adapts to the people who play it because their power is so great as you know, being out front. Uh, and also the player, football players are harder to control in terms of, you know, they're out there on social media and they tweet and everything else. But baseball, baseball in a lot of ways, you still have to adapt to it. Don't show up the game. Respect the game. And so baseball players Batista are a lot more. Bat. Exactly. And because there's always that sort of retribution your next time up at bat. And also I just don't think that you see – and this is what happened, remember, as well. Baseball players are a little bit more conservative. This is also something that we saw – Remember a few years ago when there was a movement, there was a bit of a groundswell trying to get baseball players to try to boycott spring training, to get the teams in Arizona to say, listen, this immigration, these anti-immigration laws aren't good. We need you to stand up the same way Adam Silver and the NBA did here with the All-Star game. And baseball didn't go. Baseball didn't really do anything. And so that legendary sort of activist spirit that baseball once had – is a long time ago. It's very old and it's anachronistic and it's not current. It's really not something that you can apply to today. And one wonders how thick that history even was. I mean, I heard this great story from Dennis Brutus, the former poet laureate of South Africa, served with Mandela. He was attempting to speak with U.S. athletes about doing a boycott of South Africa, apartheid South Africa. And baseball, he got the most shallow response. That's right. And only one baseball player even responded to him. Believe it or not, it was Jim Bouton. No, not surprising. Of, of all people. Of all people. <laughs> and and he, just, he was just, I remember sitting with Dennis Brutus and him just marveling at how little penetration he could get in the baseball world to talk about this issue compared to other avenues. That's right. It's not surprising at all. I mean, baseball, baseball has been living off at Jackie Robinson <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> Seriously. A very long time. They've been dining out on Jackie mm-hmm. for a long time. We talked the other night, I'm not going to name names, about how players feel like they get exploited by journalists and whatnot. I mean, if every journalist that's dined out on Jackie gave that family a dollar, <laughs> and if the league gave him a dollar every time they bathed themselves in his memory, yep. uh, that family would be... I mean, they'd be mounting their own billionaire presidential run. You could say that again. Yo, Howard Bryant, man, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you to Howard Bryant. You can follow Howard on Twitter. He's a very active user and he responds to folks. So if you got any questions, hit him up at hbryant42. And now some choice words. So 
NBA Commissioner Adam Silver made these two decisions this week, one courageous and one craven. These are two decisions that seem like they should be coming from diametrically different people. Instead, they're coming from the same mouth. The two decisions, however, tell us a great deal, not only about a commissioner who is a canny political operator, but they're also instructive about the current balance of forces in two central movements for social justice. The more high-profile decision Adam Silver made was his call to move the 2017 All-Star Game from Charlotte, and it should absolutely be celebrated that Silver stood by the league's, quote, principles of diversity and inclusion, end quote. The second decision, arriving with far less publicity, was the one to fine players in the WNBA for wearing shirts with a message against both police violence and violence against the police. These shirts are emblazoned with the names Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, in addition to having a Dallas badge. They also read Black Lives Matter and Dallas Five for the five fallen police officers in Dallas, Texas. Now, when the league sent out a memo warning players to not wear political slogans, the New York Liberty, the Phoenix Mercury, and the Indiana Fever switched to wearing just plain black t-shirts with nothing but an Adidas logo. Now, all three of those teams have been fined $5,000, and the players who wore the plain black shirts were fined 500 bucks apiece. That 500 bucks might not sound like a lot for a pro athlete, but when the average salary is about 70 grand a year, it has some bite. In a statement to the Associated Press and then copied and sent to me, WNBA President Lisa Borders said, We are proud of WNBA players' engagement and passionate advocacy for nonviolent solutions to difficult social issues, but expect them to comply with the league's uniform guidelines. Now, these fines were issued on a Wednesday. Then as fate would have it, the New York Liberty played the Indiana Fever on Thursday, and players decided to wear the original shirts bearing the names of Sterling and Castile in protest of all possible fines. Liberty star Tina Charles then accepted her WNBA Player of the Month award with her warm-ups turned inside out, and afterwards she wrote the following on Facebook. Today I decided not to be silent in the wake of the WNBA fines against the New York Liberty, Indiana Fever, and Phoenix Mercury due to our support of the Black Lives Matter movement. 70% of WNBA players are African-American women, and as a league collectively impacted, my teammates and I will still continue to use our platform to raise awareness for the movement until the WNBA gives its support as it does for breast cancer awareness, pride, and other subjects. After the game, more players spoke to the press, and I'm going to talk about what they said during the Just Stand Up Award later in the show. Now, to be clear, just to dispel any confusion about this, WNBA Commissioner Lisa Borders may have issued those fines, but they don't happen without the approval of Adam Silver. Sure enough, when I reached out for the WNBA for comment, they responded with quotes from a transcript of a press conference recently given by Adam Silver, where he said the following. Quote, I am absolutely in favor of players speaking out and speaking from the heart about whatever issues are important to them. But to use a game, a pregame as a political forum, I think it's a dangerous road for us to go down. So I would greatly prefer that the players use the platform they're given, social media, press conferences, media and locker rooms, however they want to do it, to make their political points of view be known. End quote. So here's what we know. 
Adam Silver can use the NBA All-Star Game as a place to make the political views of the league known, but players can't use their pregame warm-ups to speak on an issue that intimately affects their lives. On paper, this looks like a breathtaking double standard, or at least a confused contradiction. But it makes sense if you understand that standing up to this North Carolina law isn't just the right thing to do. It's smart business for a league that wants to market itself as young, LGBT-friendly, and willing to stand up for those being demonized by the state's awful governor, Pat McCrory. The NBA is now costing the state of North Carolina tens of millions of dollars by pulling the game, but its own risk is minimal. But to stand with the Black Lives Matter movement and to sanction the use of the court as a political space holds a great deal more risk. You risk alienating white fans. You risk police walkouts, which took place in Minnesota when off-duty police hired as WNBA security walked out of the arena when they saw the shirts that said Black Lives Matter. But for Silver, these aren't the only risks. To hand over political ownership of the court to players means that the league cannot control its carefully crafted image. The most important media message is what takes place on those 94 feet of hardwood, and the league will never surrender that space without a fight. But by cracking down, Silver has invited a different kind of a risk, the risk that his every dictate will not be meekly accepted and that this fight for the court will now be joined. In an odd way, we should be grateful to Adam Silver for his hypocrisies. By resisting this crackdown, players like Tina Charles are only giving this cause a higher profile. And by assuming risk, they are making it matter in a different kind of a way. They are also setting a strong precedent that will inspire NBA players dipping their toes into these waters to get a spine. Sure enough, New York Knicks forward Carmelo Anthony, upon hearing about the fine, said, quote, I don't see no reason to find them. If anything, you should want to support them. I don't know the details, but I don't see a reason to find them. We did it three and a half years ago after the Trayvon Martin shooting. The NBA did it. The NBA was very supportive. I don't see any difference in this matter. Right now, the players have a strong stance in what they believe in right now. I don't think anyone should be fighting that at this moment, end quote. I'm sure that Adam Silver, and by the way, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, will note Carmelo's response and realize the following. If they crack down on athletes who stand with Black Lives Matter, they should not expect compliance. They should expect defiance. That column in its entirety will be up at thenation.com. People can find the link for it in the description of this podcast. And now the Just Stand Up Award this week. I was tempted to give it to Eugene Monroe, 29 years old, retiring from the NFL, speaking out loud and proud for medical marijuana. But it's got to go to Tina Charles, Tanisha Wright, and Swin Cash, who spoke out on behalf of the Liberty about why they're supporting Black Lives Matter. And the New York Liberty and the Indiana Fever, they've announced a media blackout, which, which is what they're calling it, in, in that they will not talk to the media about anything basketball-related, only politics until they get what they want, and that's the league supporting Black Lives Matter. It's really remarkable. And I want to read to you, as part of this Just Stand Up Award, what Tanisha Wright and Swin Cash had to say. First, Tanisha Wright. She said, 
We feel like America has a problem with the police brutality that's going on with black lives around here. And we just want to use our voices and use our platform to advocate for that. Just because someone says black lives matter doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. People put out this imaginary black lives only matter whenever people say black lives matter. What we're saying is black lives matter too, period. And Swin Cash had this to say. We really would appreciate if people stopped making our support of Black Lives Matter an issue that is so critical in our society right now as us not supporting the police. There's a lot of women in this room right now in the WNBA who have family members who are in law enforcement. People need to understand that it's not mutually exclusive. You can support both things. So they're coming out very strongly. They're taking on all the arguments being thrown in their face, and they are willing to risk fines, even though they make a minimal income, for the sake of this principle, that if the league is going to support LGBT issues, if the league is going to support breast cancer research, then the league should also support in a league that's 70% black, Black Lives Matter. It's a powerful statement. And like we said with Howard Bryant, it's going to be crazy to see the collision that takes place on the court this fall. If, God forbid, if and when there's another extrajudicial killing and NBA players choose to stand up. But I'll also say this. It is important for people like Carmelo Anthony, people who make tens of millions of dollars a year, to also put their money where their mouth is. It's very welcome for Carmelo to stand with these brave women. It would be even better if he took out his checkbook and paid these damn fines. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, Dave Zirin, you always can at edgeofsports at slate.com or at Edge of Sports. I got a new book out, the new edition of Brazil's Dance with the Devil, right before the Rio Olympics. Please check that out. I'll be going down to Rio in a couple of weeks, and we'll be sure to have all the coverage from Rio for this podcast. If you want to listen to back episodes of the program, you always can at edgeofsportspodcast.com. And you should listen to our Rio coverage from May when I was there last. And that show was called The Olympics and the Battle for Rio's Future. Check that out. And we'll have a link directly to that show in the description of this podcast. For Dan Bloom, I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace. Peace.